Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Blue South Politics Podcast. As always, it's a pleasure to have you with us. Joining us this week is Kyle Heck, youth volunteer for the Amy Kennedy Congressional Campaign in New Jersey. Welcome to the show, Kyle. Hey, thanks for having me. Today, we're going to be discussing the TikTok politicians of tomorrow, the current Bernie-Biden relationships, and Kyle's experience working with Amy Kennedy. But first, here are the news headlines. 100 people were killed and 4,000 injured yesterday in Beirut, Lebanon, after a massive explosion rocked the city. It is projected that the explosion created seismic waves equivalent to a magnitude 3.3 earthquake. Officials are not yet certain of the cause of the explosion, but one Lebanese official declared that the blast was caused by confiscated, highly explosive materials. Others have said that the explosion may have been caused by fireworks or possible terrorist activity. Multiple, actually quite a few, countries offered condolences and aid to Lebanon following the explosion. So what do you guys think caused this? I mean, obviously it wasn't fireworks like some people have been alleging, but, uh, you know, what's your take on this? Well, I saw the video and it was absolutely horrifying. It looked like an atomic bomb went off or something. Um, And, you know, there's been a lot of blame kind of going around. People were blaming Israel um, and also Hezbollah as well. So, uh, you know, they're they're launching an investigation. Not really sure what will come up of it. Hopefully it wasn't intentional. Hopefully it it was accidental or else that would be pretty sickening if it was intentional. Um, But I'm glad to see that multiple countries are offering aid and, and things like that. So. Um, yeah, that's my take on it. Just just to paint a picture on how dire the situation is, uh, the Beirut hospital actually may run out of medical supplies soon. And that that's insane because so far, uh, uh, countries like really, really big countries like America haven't been pouring all the resources in that they should be. And to give you a sense of how big the actual explosion was, it was actually created a 405 foot wide crater. That is huge. Visible wow. from Google Maps. I mean, satellite exactly. Yeah. 405 foot. That, like that. That's that's crazy. Like that's that's a really really big. I also saw the explosion uh, online on a video, and like like you said, like you said, Ronan, it was really really bad. So we've definitely got to provide aid as fast as possible. Yeah, I saw a picture of. It was actually a hospital room, and the windows were blown out from the explosion. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, but in other news, Hurricane Isais is making its way up the northeast coast of the United States, packing strong winds, heavy rain, and even tornadoes. Over 3 million people on the east coast have now lost power as a result of the storm, and over 61 million people are under a tropical storm warning, and at least four people have died. Today, Isais will be making its way into Canada and eventually peter out around Thursday or Friday. What do you guys think about that? Well, I mean, you know, Isais itself um, is not, I wouldn't say particularly strong, of course, but it isn't as on such a catastrophic scale as, you know, some other ones we've seen. It's a routine tropical storm. Well, yeah. you know, routine hurricane at this point. But um, it's, let, let it bear a warning. Let this be a cautionary tale. Um little anecdote here you know, some very close friends of ours own a beach house in folly beach south carolina i believe or somewhere in charleston county and um the hurricane flooded the wa- flooded the space below their house lifted up one car crashed it into another one brand new bmw caught fire which caused the house to catch fire and burned down while the streets were flooded uh, they just barely got out and i think two were in the hospital at the moment um, let, let, let this be a warning. 
you may have gotten away this time, but if we continue to ignore climate change and global warming, this may become a routine occurrence, and it's horrifying. Yeah, definitely. Of course, yeah, me living in the uh, on the coast, right, or or somewhere close to the coast. Uh, I mean, I did experience the storm just a little bit, and for me, it wasn't that bad. But knowing that it could be way, way, way worse, Paul, as you said. It, it it's it's a horrifying thought that uh, this actually in like ten or so years could become a reality daily or something like that. Yeah, and like up in New Jersey, um, it wasn't really a bad storm. Like there's been a lot of nor'easters, a lot worse, but it still did. We had power out for a couple of minutes, and some of my friends just down the road still have their power out. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So Kyle, President Trump? Ah, President Trump has come under fire recently for saying that the coronavirus death toll, quote, is what it is in an Axios interview. This comes after the U.S. death toll reached 155,000 deaths and almost 5 million cases. Trump also attacked Dr. Deborah Birx this week, calling her, quote, pathetic, after Birx said that the United States is in a new phase of the pandemic where the virus is extraordinarily widespread. Childish and horrifying. Coronavirus has killed 155,000 Americans. 155,000. And you know what the face of our country says? It is what it is. Uh, we can't blame Trump for the existence of coronavirus, but he does play, has did play a role in failing to keep the virus under control and failing to keep governors like DeSantis, for example, in check. You know, and it's this sort of just blatant ignorance and ap apathy that we just can't have an office. Not only this, but he's been blocking attempts uh, for, like, for instance, unemployment, uh, people who are unemployed. He's been blocking numerous attempts by Democrats to provide more aid and relief for them uh, and providing more money. Because right now... Can you imagine how hard it is to survive? Um, and if you get the, the virus and you have to go to the hospital, unfortunately, our system isn't going to just let you go off the hook. No, you're, you're going to have so many bills that you're going to have to pay off. And that is not building up to anything good. By the way, I just want to point out that in March, he said, quote unquote, we have this under control. It'll all go away. Trump said, even in this interview, we've done all that we can. And if, I, and if I can add something in here right now, um, I watched that Axios interview and it was hilarious and laughable. I mean, that the, the Axios interviewer, the reporter, he did a great job of breaking down Trump's lies by asking Trump simple and basic follow-up questions. Mm -hmm. And that totally ruined Trump's defense of anything. He couldn't defend his lies. So I think this, um, journalists need to learn from that and start asking him follow-up questions and maybe – you can put Trump on the defensive about, you know, misinformation and things like that. Well, speaking of Trump, in a stunning contradiction, President Trump actually motivated Florida voters to vote by mail on Tuesday. He called the Florida voting system safe and secure and applauded uh, the way it has been, quote unquote, cleaned up. And this comes after Trump met with Florida Senator Marco Rubio on a campaign conference call when Rubio declared that he had, quote unquote, no concerns about Florida mail and voting. He tweeted yesterday, or Trump tweeted yesterday, whether you call it vote by mail or absentee voting, in Florida, the election system is safe and secure, tried and true. 
Florida's voting system has been cleaned up. Uh, in parentheses, we defeated Democratic attempts at change. So in Florida, I encourage all to request a ballot and vote by mail. Guys, this clearly sounds like he contradicted what he said like a few weeks ago or what he's been saying for the past few weeks. What do you guys think? Yeah, exactly. It's just total hypocrisy on the part of Trump. He's I mean, flailing that's blind. all I have to say. Yeah, it's just uh, everything he says now. I hope he's contradicting himself consciously because his last resort now is to stir up as much attention, negative or positive, in order to try and edge some voters over to his side. But he's shooting himself in the foot. Totally. Yeah, I think that he saw that he's doing very poorly in Florida, and I think he's just trying to rile the voters up just to try to get any support he can. Absolutely. Yeah. What is it going to take uh, for those 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 diehard Trump supporters to finally say no, no? Like, I don't know. We've already had like what six or seven books written uh, by people involved directly in his administration. There are only only a couple dozen rape allegations, you know. Of course, and then his cousin, even even his cousin, or sorry, his niece, his sorry, his niece even wrote a book about him. A direct family member. What is it going to take? Like, how many books do we have to write? By the way, can you imagine how different the coronavirus scenario would play out if Hillary Clinton was president? Like, come on. This would be completely different. Exactly. Well, now let's move into our first topic, TikTok and its influence on modern politics. Many of you know TikTok as a simple video sharing app for teens, but it is quickly becoming a home for the politicians of tomorrow. Currently, there's hundreds of political accounts, big and small, through which creators try to spread their views through dances and captions kept with popular music. Right. And believe it or not, um, political TikTokers, even teens, 16, 17 years old, they're a force to be reckoned with. I mean, like what we saw with Trump's spectacular blunder of a rally in Omaha, you know, they reserved seats uh, and then didn't show up. Stadium I'm assuming was not even half full, judging by the pictures. And, you know, it's this sort of thing that really, uh, it's Trump's Achilles heel, one of his 37 different Achilles heels. His uh, ego, his, his ego. egotistical. And the fact that he was undermined by a bunch of hormonal 16-year-olds in quarantine, it, his, hit, his ego took a big hit, which is part of the reason, I think, why he was trying so hard to ban TikTok. I'm sure he has some sort of informant or he himself is on TikTok because, you know, as soon as you open the app, I'd say 70 to 80 percent of the content is just anti-Trump. Of course. And if I may add uh, his rally, he was bragging how he had over one million people reserved. But guess how many people showed up? Only 19,000. And even to the day leading up, he was like, this is going to be the biggest rally ever. We're going to have so many people here. And uh it was really, really funny to see a big hit taken to his ego. But the reason why he wants to ban TikTok is he claims it's a national security threat, which actually, if you think about it, makes some sort of sense, you know, because uh, TikTok is a Chinese-made app, and uh, the data that uh, everyone gives through the app can, in fact, definitely be processed by China and be used by whatever means that they want. So it totally makes sense. However, when a U.S.-based company, Microsoft, tries to buy the app from uh, this company, Trump completely does not agree with the deal. He cancels the deal, and uh, it makes no sense because it's a complete contradiction to 
uh, what what you would think that he would do if he thought it was a uh, a threat. Yeah, and Paul, and Paul, if I can also add in, why don't you tell our audience about your um? So I, I myself account. have become somewhat of a political TikToker. Uh, my account, uh, politics spelled with my name instead of P O L. Uh, you know, I currently have about thirty thousand followers. You know, I just post uh more comedic content than anything else. You know, the usual uh, mocking Trump supporters, uh, the occasional Fortnite dance. That was a joke. Um, <laughs> you know, just sort of trying to put my message out there. Um, some of my friends and I also re- um, also recently joined a group, the Middle Ground Hype House. You know, attempt to end some sort of the partisan bickering we've been seeing recently you know try to create a more unified political system and that being said i feel as though the future of american politics with gen z in office uh there are some bright aspects to it i'm in several um you know group chats uh discord servers we've got 15 16 17 year olds reading ayn rand and discussing extremely obscure political philosophy i'm something i'm sure the majority of the fat cats up on capitol hill can't make heads or tails of and with people actually understanding, you know, the the um, the thought process behind the political ideologies they're supporting, we may see a more uh, streamlined and sensible face of American politics once Gen Z grows up and starts to, you know, take seats from, you know, the boomers like we're seeing now. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, well, now it's time to move on to our segment about the. Um, Bernie's influence on Biden's policies. So a few weeks ago, presumptive Democratic nominee Joe Biden revealed a new climate and jobs plan for America to accommodate some of Bernie's ideas. This came after a, a big meeting with Biden's policymakers and Bernie's policymakers, and they kind of came together. They fused ideas to create this kind of new climate objective. So it acts as a sort of compromise, and it in turn made Joe Biden's policies a little more left-leaning. And although it's not exactly what Bernie Sanders himself would have liked, it still provides an incentive to, for voting for Biden in the long run. So his new plan includes many great and ambitious proposals, but the most important and major ones are, Daniel, want to, take, want to read the list here? Of course, yeah. So some of the stuff that he would love to do is to invest $2 trillion in green energy and infrastructure over four years. Uh, he would love to make electricity the electricity sector free of carbon pollution by 2035. Uh, he would love to uh, make all U.S.-made buses zero emissions by 2030, set a goal for the disadvantaged communities to receive 40% of benefits from clean energy and infrastructure spending. Uh, he would love to create net zero emissions standard for new commercial developments by 2030, promote nuclear and hydropower, uh, invest in rail networks and new roads to promote the revitalization of American infrastructure, invest in biofuel and other advanced fuels, driving from agriculture, and uh, I think just as important, uh, rejoin the Paris Climate Agreement. So it's clear to see that Bernie Sanders' influence has greatly changed Biden's original plans for the climate. His new plan is more ambitious, helpful, and urgent than it was before, which is a great thing because we only have so many years before climate change becomes irreversible. Exactly. And I'm and I'm very happy that um, Joe Biden's taken the step with Bernie. Um, I think it's like I said, it's very it's um, it takes into account the urgency of the situation. Um, they understand that climate change is an, is an existential threat to our civilization. Um, and I think it's a great step toward um, beating this new this new challenge. Yeah. Of course. Well, Kyle, why don't you tell us about your work on the Amy Kennedy campaign? Uh, so 
Amy Kennedy is the wife of Patrick Kennedy. He's a former uh, congressman from Rhode Island. Um, and she's running a really tough congressional campaign in South Jersey um, against un- unpopular incumbent uh, Jeff Van Drew. Uh, Van Drew is a first term congressman, and he ran a really close campaign in 2018 as a Democrat. Uh, but in January 2020, Van Drew changed his po- his political affiliation to Republican and now sides almost consistently with conservative Republicans. And he's even been endorsed by President Trump. Uh, so the Kennedy campaign is running to replace Van Drew um, because he just turned against the people that trusted him. Um, and she's a mental health advocate. And she was a former public school teacher. So honestly, I couldn't think of anybody better to help the country out than somebody that's worked in such a tough job as a public school teacher. Um, Right, exactly. And we've seen her, you know, advocating for reforming the criminal justice system. Um, Mm -hmm. And she's gaining support throughout Jersey's second congressional district. She's a few points under in the polls. Um, How liberal would you consider South Jersey to be? Um, I would say South Jersey, our district, um, district two, it's actually, it kind of leans Republican. Mm -hmm. Um, but there definitely are, uh, more democratic voters here as well. Um, because we elected Van Drew as a Democrat, even though he was a very moderate Democrat when we elected him it's still pretty Republican. Like our, right. our congressman for, I don't even know, I think it's the past 20 something years before Van Drew, he was a Republican. So. Yeah. I, I can't even, I, it's hard for me to wonder why Republicans aren't questioning this. This, this is a guy who just switched uh, parties. I mean, mm-hmm. how much does he actually care about your policies? If just uh, like a, a few years ago, he was affiliated with a completely different party. Voting so. against the same policies he claims to support now. Exactly. So how much is he actually, uh, you know, Republican or Democrat? Yeah, I don't know. And, and, you know, I, and, you know, I remember this whole controversy. I remember when he kind of switched sides. I think it came around during impeachment. Yeah, he I voted think, against um, impeachment. Right. And, you know, after that, Trump was all happy about it. He's like, look, somebody finally turned against the Democrats. And mm-hmm. it was just a whole, He's a you know, right. Yeah. I, I just I just couldn't believe it. And, and, you know, Amy Kent, she seems like a very qualified candidate. So I do hope she is successful. And um, Kyle, do you want to maybe explain a little bit about what you did personally to help her campaign? Um, I've just been doing like the easy stuff like uh, phone banking and just uh putting up yard signs and stuff like that that's still great that's that's awesome yeah and I'm, I'm sure you're doing a great service to her and i think she has a very good chance at winning especially after this turncoat kind of jeff van drew dude is gonna is going more and more unpopular i can't yeah, help definitely. but feel yeah. as though you know the, the jeff van drew voters in jersey as though they've been betrayed in a way yeah you know, here they put this guy in office. Obviously, if they elected him, they wanted a moderate Democrat, and he turns out to be a Trump supporter. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that in itself is, seems just very almost dishonest in a way. As legal as it was, it, it's, it's sort of a slimeball move. Yeah, it really it is. is. It is. 
And um, I just hope, and you know, you know, in a lot of districts, we've been seeing kind of a liberal, you know, the political idea ideology is kind of shifting to the left. So maybe, we'll, maybe Kyle, you'll see that in your district. Maybe you'll see it move to the left progressively over the years. Um, yeah. So yeah, we have some hope there. Yeah, there was actually only one district when Van Drew was elected. There was only one district that went Republican. And then he switched, uh, so now there's two in New Jersey that went Republican. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, that seems to be almost all the time we've got for today. Um, thank you so much for joining us, Kyle. Thank you so much for having me. It was great. As always, we're glad y'all decided to tune in. I'm Daniel. I'm Paul. And I'm Ronan. And this has been The Blue South. The Blue South is made possible by David Vandalay, who created our theme. And also by the graphic designer who rebranded our logo. You can find him on Instagram at Gustavinsky8. And of course, special thanks to all of our listeners and Instagram followers. You are what keeps the Blue South going.